Hi, this is John Nelson. This is Jimmy Maurer. Hi, I'm Andre Zanoda, and you're listening to the Dallas Soccer Show. Hello and welcome to the Dallas Soccer Show presented by the Striker Texas. I'm Dustin Nation and in this episode it will we will serve as the uh, season review episode of FC Dallas's 2021 season. In addition to the normal podcast episode, we are live streaming tonight's event across multiple Twitter accounts as well as our YouTube channel, the Strikers YouTube channel. So grab a drink, get comfortable and feel free to join us in the conversation by commenting on the video, wherever you're watching it from, uh, we'll read some on the air and we'll even pull in some audience questions later on. Uh, all right, we'll buckle up because uh, we've got an amazing guest lineup tonight. But before on the video, wherever you're watching it from, get to them, let's say howdy to the Dallas Soccer Show regular and artisan Vuvuzela collector Jonathan Ross. How's it going, Jonathan? <laughs> Uh, it's going pretty dang good, Dustin. Uh, I mean, coming out of my soccer coma for after a couple of weeks with no FC Dallas, you know, I've been peeking in on some U.S. men's national team, but I feel like it's time, man. It's time to – we've stepped away. We've uh, we've seen the fun that was this season. It's time to break it down. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had a healthy separation, and now we can come back at it with fresh eyes. Uh, all right. So, also joining us with tonight is the who's who of DFW sports, sports and soccer voices. Uh, leading off the lineup is FC Dallas radio host, former ESPN soccer radio host, and Bundesliga correspondent to the Tickets Kickaround show. It's Tyler Kern. How's it going, Tyler? It is going well, Dustin. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin and Jonathan. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. And uh, too kind of an introduction as well. <laughs> Man, we're glad you're here. Uh, up next on the team sheet is FC Dallas TV and radio analyst, the other half of ESPN Soccer Radio, rest in peace, uh-huh. uh, and professional backyard barbecuer, it's Steve Davis. I wore my best hoodie for you guys. I hope you like it. <laughs> I love it. I am I am impressed by that hoodie. It's Does it have a hood? Look at that. Wow. wow. All right. I'm right off the training ground, man. Had, had some kids tonight. <laughs> nice she's uh living the values all right uh also joining us is fc dallas tv and radio play-by-play voice dallas stars broadcaster for valley sports and the ticket and emu enthusiast it's <laughs> owen newkirk you know we're only three more guests away from having our own hollywood squares here <laughs> yeah i feel like we should do some brady bunch bit here we could do that yes when you really point to somebody all right. And uh, rounding out the front four is the play-by-play voice of FC Dallas TV and radio, the Davis Dallas Mavericks, the World Cup, the Olympics, and college football. He's also an amateur meteorologist. It's Mark Followell. Uh, along with the, the Hollywood Squares theme, I'll take Paul Lind for the block, please. So, so I know I feel like square. that's I feel like that's really too old of a reference. There's probably not a lot of people watching that get that. <laughs> but back in the day, man, what a great game show it was. It's good to be with you guys and uh, good to catch up with all of you about the sport we love and the team that we love. And you know, let's do it. 
Excellent. Yeah, that one went a little bit over my head. Uh, maybe a little too old <laughs> for me. Paul Lind was the center square. The the comedian Paul Lind was the center square <laughs> on the episode of the Hollywood Squares that were on all the time. So back in the 70s and early 80s. If you all right. Explain it, follow well. Yeah, you got to explain it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, I asked for it. So. All right. Uh, well, I'm not sure uh, how we managed to find some magical window in time when all of y'all were available. But like, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, I'm sure glad you guys were able to be here. Uh, and in fact, I think if I'm not wrong, I think we might be like one guest play by play host away from having the entire regular and backup uh, TV and radio crew here. I think like there's a guy named James. Backed James up had once. Not. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, and then I think that's the rest of us are here. It's pretty right. crazy. All right. Um, okay. So let's kick things off here. I want to, I want to get started and let's just take kind of a, we've had all had that step back and let's, let's go round Robin and we'll start with, uh, G uh, Jonathan. So everybody else can have a little bit more time. Let's, let's hear what your, uh, your three words that describe the FC Dallas this season are and why i'm gonna go with no real chance and i think this is one where in just looking back at the end of the season right and seeing the the personal changes they had in the offseason some of the people that they brought in who um really had limited impact for the most part across the season that you know if you think about this team the personnel the rising competition in the league I really don't think now looking back that there was ever really a chance for them to make the playoffs or at least make a significant uh, impact in the playoffs. So that's, that's my three words. All right. We'll do a popcorn style. So you get to choose who's next. Huh. Uh, I'm going to go with Tyler. I like it. I like it. I'm going to go real Texas with mine and just say not so good. <laughs> and, uh, that's that's truly it's truly like if, if someone to ask like hey how did FC Dallas do this season I'd say mm, not so good and uh, you know we can expound upon that further but I think you know I, I think we'll dive into a lot of the different things that that Jonathan raised in his answer just when it came to uh, additions and also subtractions uh, over the previous off season and the way that FC Dallas went about maybe addressing some of the needs or not addressing some of the needs that they had in the roster some of those needs uh, maybe self inflicted to early before the season and things along those lines. So um, you put all that together along with a lot of injuries, especially along the back line into key players uh, throughout the season. And I think you end up with a, a, a not so good season. And uh, that's what I'm going with. Love it. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. Y'all. <laughs> all right. Who's next, Tyler? Uh, I'm going to go with Steve-O. Uh, how about three word review? One step back. Uh, doesn't mean they can't go forward, but clearly this year was a step backwards. Like it. It's uh, nice and succinct. And a little bit, a, a touch of optimism thrown in at the end. Uh, Owen, what you got? Well, if you want optimism, I'm here for you. So my three words are peppy, chew, chew. <laughs> Look, it was a disappointing year because FC Dallas wasn't really even in the playoff hunt down the stretch let alone making it to MLS Cup playoffs. But he was, and there are some other storylines that are right up there, but I don't want to steal everybody's thunder here. But Ricardo Pepe was by far the, on a national and, dare I say, international stage, was the most exciting thing to happen this season. And we're all, we'll probably get into a lot more Pepe talk, but 
we're pretty excited to see what this 18-year-old film El Paso has done with this club. Absolutely. I think that, Mark, that leaves you. Yeah, I guess that does leave me. Well, I, I like uh, the fact that Owen went positive, and it sort of made me, as I was kind of thinking about all these different things going through my head, so Owen going positive uh, was good for me. So I'll say uh, mysterious yet memorable is my three words to describe the FC Dallas season. And Owen, Owen very much so brought up something that I think uh, shouldn't be overlooked in that uh, this was the breakout year of Ricardo Pepe and it meant so much to the club that he did what he did, um, you know, in terms of goal scoring for the team and putting his name in the record books and having a, uh, you know, a season that was one of the best in FC Dallas history from a goal scoring perspective. And uh, it was great publicity for the club, all of the things that he did. Uh, the mysterious part comes from the fact that obviously, um, you know, there were a lot of moves that were made that, uh, you know, are tough to kind of wrap your head around whenever it starts like a week or two before the beginning of the season, um, you know, selling a defensive midfielder who was a pretty key component of your team. And then, uh, you know, the things that happened with Lucci and just, you know, there were a lot of things that, that unfolded along the way that, uh, you know, were mysterious, I suppose you would, would be a polite way to put it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I think my three words would be Jesus and Pepe. Um, I think that I also went kind of the positive route and like, let's forget all this other stuff. There's not a whole lot of stuff you really want to remember about the season besides those two fellas and the, the kind of the, the emergence of them um, as a, as a duo up the, up the middle and then the, kind of in the spine of the attack. And um, you know, you're, they're both making uh, national team appearances as a result of it. So, that's my three words. I thought you were going to go negative with this, Dustin, and go with a, go with penalty kicks or something. <laughs> yes, penalty <laughs> kicks suck, or uh, <laughs> what a beating. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, it's over. You didn't you didn't go that direction. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, Mark, you you mentioned that it was kind of a mysterious season. There was a lot of. You know, and there's a lot of stuff you guys brought up um, that that is not so positive. Um, and I think overwhelmingly, it was like Steve said, is a step back. There's not a great season. Steve, help us unwrap that mystery. Like what? It what went wrong? I mean, we have we have plenty of time, and we all drink. So, <laughs> well, I think um, the thirty five thousand uh, foot view is that. You can be what this club wants to be, I think, I believe. They can be a selling club, a developmental club, and still be competitive, but you have to understand that there's a balance there. And uh, I think, you know, if you want to be a selling club and a developmental club and be competitive all the time, I think maybe that's a bridge too far. I think, uh, see, I took note of it here. I think Lucci put it really well when he said in the, uh, uh, a good interview with in the athletic. He said, we lost some balance of the reality of youth development and transferring players and the expectation of results. We lost some balance of the reality of youth development and transferring players and the expectations of results. So again, I think you could be all that, but what I think, um, you know, the hunts and, and, and everybody that makes a decision to, to, for me, what they have to understand is, yeah, you can make a good run, but it might be once every two years, once every three years, it has to be on a cycle. 
really expect to be able to sell three really good players um, and then be a team that can legitimately make some noise in the playoffs. I'm just not sure that's going to happen. So uh, the, the, the big view for me is that the club just has to sort of step back and really realistically assess what they are, what they want to be, and then sort of go from there, but have a very realistic picture of it. I guess the negative thing of that, Steve, from a balance perspective is it almost feels like, does that mean that this club is going through another reset? So if you're a, if you're a fan who's been watching this club and watching, you know, over, let's say the, the three year Lucci period, right. Moving to more of the play of the kids, uh, this new, let's say more exciting style of, of soccer versus uh, what we saw with OB. Um, is this, does this mean that the club's going to take a step back? Well, I'll let somebody else talk uh, talk to you. But uh, yeah. yes, I, I I don't think you could see, see this season as anything but a reset season now. I think you look at other you, you could look at other teams around the Metroplex and think back to times when they were close to winning a championship. The way that we all I think we would all agree that we felt FC Dallas had that potential in 2016. That just because of the timing of the Morrow injury and everything like that, obviously didn't work out. But that was obviously a championship caliber club that won two trophies that year. And I think, you know, if you look at the Rangers from 2010, 2011, there's this idea that you are always just that one little piece away to push you over the edge. And I think FC Dallas in off seasons has been making maybe smaller tweaks to things. Uh, I mean, you obviously have to change coaches at some point and, and that came along and that sort of thing. But there hadn't been a wholesale reset where FC Dallas had fallen so short of expectations that it felt like, okay, this whole thing is kind of starting over again and this is a new cycle. This year kind of felt like that for the first time for me. But you almost have that that feeling for so long. And, and I mean, you could look at it with the 2006 Mavericks or the the 2010 2011 Rangers where it's just like, okay, if we just get that one guy, if we just maybe fix this one little thing. And I think this year we saw that there were a lot more issues than just, uh, we just need that one thing to push us over the edge. And so I, I look at this season as a, as a step back and, you know, and there's a need to reevaluate things, I think in Frisco. Anything else? Anybody wants to add? Uh, I think that Steve and Tyler have said it very, very well uh, in terms of a step back. I mean, there's really no argument that it wasn't, you know, anything but that. Um, I love the the idea of reevaluating where you are. Um, you know, the the idea of playing the kids. Uh, this is a young man's game, and I would love to see the team get back to that um, because I do think that there are some promising prospects. But of course, they've got to be able to sort out, uh, you know, what their plan is with the the players who obviously are going to be garnering a lot of attention on the international stage from from the transfer perspective as well um so you know I, I, there's there's probably i mean i know we have limited time tonight and there's probably a lot of uh, offshoots of how we can go in this conversation but the big picture view that everybody has expressed is something that i would you know wholeheartedly agree with bo matthews on uh looks like youtube says you can have all three if you don't compete, you will lose prospects on the development academy side. Yeah, I mean, to me, one of the things that I think this season kind of exposed is how important it is to have front office symmetry with your coaching staff at, when it comes to building, developing the team, creating the roster that you want to go forward with, and also maintaining the mantra that the club 
lives and dies by. And, you know, clearly in this case, we saw a midseason coaching change. And I, I don't want to get too far ahead and talk about next season what we're talking about this year, but that's the biggest question moving forward is who's going to be the next coach because they need to be in lockstep with their technical director and and their team president and to make sure that the players that they bring in are the players that everybody's in agreement with. Now, look, everybody's, you know, each person may have their own little details or their their desires that don't always exactly line up, but they've got to be on the same page. And if there's any pulling in one direction or another, that's going to make it even harder to be the kind of club that FC Dallas wants to be, which is generally favoring homegrowns and developing players for the, you know, the next step, whether it be in Europe or the national team or both. And to then supplement that with the kind of veterans and maybe DPs that they bring in to bring that depth to bolster those homegrowns as they learn to play the professional game, they have to be some sort of symbiotic relationship between the coaching staff and the front office. To to pick up a little bit on what Owen was saying, I had this conversation with with Stephen Mark not that long ago, where we talked about just the um, perhaps a concerning trend that that we've noticed a little bit with some of the the youth players, and it's that at times it feels like it's more of a privilege to play in the FC Dallas youth system because of the bolster forward that that gives you into Europe and the, the opportunities that that provides you than it is to play with the first team. And I think that comes with the idea that it's um, th- that I think the team needs to have a little bit more success when it comes to the senior team and, and winning some more trophies and competing on a year-in, year-out basis um, in a way that I think gives people pride to play for FC Dallas. Whereas right now, I think it's more of a privilege and more of a pride thing to come from the FC Dallas Academy and then go play in Europe. And so that's, I don't know, that's a concerning trend to me anyways. And maybe that gets a little bit to what Bo is talking about is that right now, if you don't have results on the field with the first team, there's not there's nothing to aspire to with the top part of the food chain for FC Dallas uh, beyond just, I'm going to excel in the academy. I'm going to get in for a year with FC Dallas, and then I'm going to go, right? Um, and, and to me, anyways, there's a little bit of concern that I have uh, about maybe a little bit uh, of that creeping into the academy mindset. That's an interesting angle I hadn't thought about before. Um, when you see all these players on the U.S. national team, six, seven of them coming through the FC Dallas Academy. Um, but yet, not not all. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that angle. But yeah, yeah, what's yeah, also yeah. interesting is – go ahead, Mark. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't uh, – just getting to the first team can't be uh, indicative of I've made it. You know, I, I think that's kind of – you know, the direction that, that Tyler's talking about, that that can't be viewed at just getting there. can't be viewed as, well, I've done what I need to do. You know, you, you've got to be able to, uh, you know, have success once you've gotten there and, and success is not solely defined by, I've got the attention of clubs overseas and, you know, I've assured myself that I'm going to be punching my ticket to play somewhere else. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of what Tyler's getting at if I'm summing it up correctly. Right. Yeah, and I think I poorly articulated the fact that that maybe there's just not this feeling of there's a legacy that I need to carry on with this club by going and excelling with the first team and winning things and carrying on this incredible legacy of success with the first team. There's not that that feeling of that, right? It doesn't feel like players are being held to a standard of, yo, in 2016, we did these things and we had these players and we made the playoffs and year in, year out and that sort of thing. I guess there's just not that feeling from me 
and maybe I'm too busy trying to play sports psychologist here or whatever, but it just feels like maybe a little bit of that has been has been lacking lately as players come up and want to show out well enough just to get their you know their passport you know stamped to go to yeah, Europe. Yeah, but I do wonder if some of that's just the prestige of MLS overall. So you know, versus being FC Dallas specific, where a lot of people, especially growing up, right, they're watching you know, European clubs, and that's their dream. Their dream isn't to go play for their local uh, MLS club. It's to, to make that trip to Europe and play at the highest levels. And so I think a lot of players are going to be looking to wherever club they, they end up at to as a stepping stone. But what's interesting to me is if, if I think about this team and from a balance, stepping back and thinking about the year, I feel like some of those younger players are probably the highlights. So we're talking about, hey, they need to to do more. They need to understand kind of the, let's say, build out more of a legacy of the club. But to me, I mean, obviously we had a couple of people mention uh, Pepe or Jesus, right? Those were, you know, those guys, the breakout year for uh, uh, Tafari, right? Some of those guys were the highlights to me of this season. Uh, and, and, and they're all the the younger kids. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, that that the younger guys were the highlights, and they weren't properly supplemented by veteran players who could mesh with those younger kids in terms of having productive results on the season. Um, so I think there's there's validity in what both of and uh, what both of you were saying. Um, you know, in terms of of what the highlights were this season, because I think you could go even farther than what what you said, Jonathan. Uh, as Steve and I noted on the broadcast. Uh, Cervania worked his way back into the first team and played a lot at the end of the season. Uh, Tomasi looks like a very credible MLS right back. Obviously, you said uh, Tafari is another good name to mention as well. Uh, Paxton was healthy all season long. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, you have to consider him as part of the young core. Uh, but, but you know, the veteran players that were part of it. I mean, this you know, an example of why I use the word mysterious early is a DP that got basically buried on the bench at the end of the year, Brian Acosta. I mean, your your designated player midfielder uh, barely saw the field after the last international window. I think maybe he played one of the last five games. And I get why maybe you didn't want to play him and you wanted to look at younger players. But I don't know. That's just one of the many mysteries of the season for me. Yeah, I think I think Jonathan, what you're saying is is kind of almost what I mean. In in that you're right, the younger players were better, and that's that to me is a problem. Is that there's not this this high high standard set by the DPS and the the older players. And I kept harping game in game out this season that it's not the homegrowns that are letting FC Dallas down. It's the it's the older players. It's the guys that that you brought in to be these reliable pieces. Um, that are letting the team down. But I think legacy is built by the guys that have been here for 10 years. And and I think you needed more from those guys this year. Um, and maybe less than 10 years, five years, three years, whatever. However long a Brian Acosta has been there or, you know, even a, I, I, I think Matt Hedges would probably be honest and tell you this wasn't his best season, even though he obviously wasn't healthy for a vast, vast majority of it. So th- that's that kind of is exactly what I mean in that, I think the younger players were much better than a lot of the older players. But in order for there to be a standard that is set for a team, I think you have to get better performances out of designated players, have to get better performances from some of these guys you brought in for big, big money deals. So I think we agree in the end. All right. If you're just joining us, this is the FC Dallas 2021 season review for the Dallas Soccer Show. We're here with uh, pretty much the entirety of the FC Dallas broadcast crew, Tyler Kern, uh, Mark Followell, uh, Steve Davis and Owen Newkirk uh, in order are there on your screen. 
Uh, gentlemen, let's, okay. So it's a long season. Um, and FC Dallas had, I mean, it started out not so terrible, right? Like one of the highlights for me was that the win against the supporter shield winner, uh, new England revolution, right? Right at the beginning of the season. Uh, what were some of your highlights from the season? And we'll start with you, Owen. Wait, I'm going to be the guy that says nothing but Ricardo Pepe all night, apparently, because uh, obviously his hat trick against the L.A. Galaxy was a big one. I think it probably saved Luchi Gonzalez's job for the time being because they had had a really tough run of form. The wins they had in that span of road games where they went to Kansas City and had those two absolute bangers from Jesus Ferrer and Pax and Pomico, which to be fair, we, Ferrer was phenomenal, and you could argue he deserves to be the team MVP this year, even o- over Pepe, who was the breakout player that Mark said uh, and used a great term for what I think very much deserved Ricardo's, uh, uh, you know, the celebrating his real emergence as a starter in MLS. That point in Seattle, which they had been just wretched at trying to get any results against the Sounders on the road. Uh, but to me, I mean, look, it's going to sound like a broken record coming for me, but watching Pepe score a hat trick against LA Galaxy, them winning. And at the time, Hader Obreon even added a goal that probably shouldn't have been scored. But, you know, we didn't know that he was going to have that kind of offensive surge toward the end of the season. It felt like it was like nothing could go wrong. And they got really outplayed by the Galaxy at the beginning of July down in Southern California. So to do that and kind of feel like they were salvaging their season at the time to me was that was the the moment of the year for me. Owen hit the big highlights, I think, Um, other than the one thing I would add would be that Ferreira played so well this year. And I I just don't think that can be overlooked because uh, of how good his reputation was coming up through the academy and then score the first time that he played in 2017. And there's high expectations. And then you had to wait it out until 2019 and then he was really, really good and then had such a fall off in performance in 2020. And then to have a uh, resurgence and play as well as he did in 2021 and statistically could have even been better given some of the chances that he created and key passes that he had. Um, you know, if I were going to add anything besides the high point individual games and results that Owen mentioned and the easy thing to say, of course, being Ricardo Pepe. Uh, to me, Ferreira would be, I mean, you would you would have to, in, in all caps, put him as a highlight of the season because, I mean, it was a big dip in 2020, and then it was equally as big of a jump back to uh, the form that we expected, and, and arguably you could say even more in terms of how he played in 2021. And Mark, further to your point, and I'll let you expound on this more, but I think Jesus was more consistent, especially down the stretch, than Ricardo was. And I know he was going through playing more national team minutes than Jesus was, but I think Ferreira was the better of the two in the last probably 10 to 12 games of the season for FC Dallas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you if you tallied it all up based on goals and assists and key passes, um, you know, I know that I think whenever he got his national team call up in October, um, I had or I, I, I tweeted out that I think that in his last 12 games prior to that, I think it was maybe six, six goals, five assists or five goals, six assists, whatever it was, and 37 key passes. And Steve may even recall that I called him on the phone that day just to make sure that I had the proper MLS Opta definition of what they call key passes, which are basically a pass that leads to a shot. 
And then if you average two or three a game, I mean, that's going to put you in the upper echelon of the league. And in that stretch of time that I'm talking about, for Jesus, he was averaging just over three a game. So, yeah, there's there's some validity in what you had to say there, Owen, for sure. So, you know, I would say that in terms of uh, results, it's hard to argue that there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not sure if anybody mentioned the win, the national televised win at Austin. I thought that was kind of a, a high point as well. But, you know, when I think about in terms of individual development, uh, you guys have obviously talked about Pepe and Ferreira, but I think there are other really good uh, things to kind of hang your hat on this season in terms of what I would call discovery of Emma and uh, Ed Cozy. I don't think uh, before the season, th- those were two guys that we thought uh, would necessarily be challenging for starting spots. And now we're talking about them as uh, pretty good options, uh, starting options for, for next season. I think the progression of um, Cervania, uh, again, a guy that sort of got lost in that weird transfer. I forget the team he was playing for on loan where he's playing right back in Austria, I think. Yeah. Uh, he comes back in. He's playing very well at the end of the year. So that's progression. Surreal. Uh, maybe not as much progression there. And I would also say that uh, but it's real, not as much progression, but some progression. And I would say it was mentioned a while ago that just past it, getting through the year injury free. I don't think it's, we, I don't think he got anywhere close to what his ceiling was. Uh, and I also think he'd be a little better, a different position, but uh, that's a little different conversation, but I would <laughs> say just getting through a, a season for Paxton, I'd say that's, that's even progression, even Obreon at the end. Yeah, I, to to me, they, he's he's got to learn to defend, or he's, or he's you know, uh, then he's maybe a better bench option. But uh, even there, there was progression through the season. So there are there are different places that uh, you can look at this year and say, okay, results clearly not what they wanted, but at least there was some individual progress. And for a team that values and, and pretty much sells himself on that, that's uh, th- there is some value to that. It's saying pretty much the same thing that Tyler said about the DPs not playing well, but in reverse, saying that all the young kids played well. Not not just played well, though. Progressed. Progressed. Okay, sorry. Saint Poulton. Saint Saint Poulton was the uh, was the club, by the way. When you, when you're playing in the uh, Austrian Bundesliga on the team that got relegated out of the Austrian Bundesliga into the second division, that feels like you're pretty far off the map. To, your, to Steve's point about Cervania, that's where he was before he got back to FC Dallas during the summer and then ended up starting a lot late in the year. But, but you know, as, as we talk all of this out, I mean, you know, this is kind of why I use the word mysterious, because there clearly are individual things that are worth, talk, that are worth talking about and worth looking at from a good perspective. But uh, there are also, you know, all of these discussions about the veterans who didn't play well. And like I said earlier, uh, you know, two weeks before the season, the tone is sort of set by selling off Santos and there's a coaching change in the middle of the year. That's why this all this whole thing is mysterious, because at the end of the day, you know, um, it wasn't a good season, you know, just from a results perspective and a table perspective and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, we can sit here and talk about individuals taking steps forward and finding pieces and none of that, I would argue. But I guess probably the reason why at the end of the day, I use the word mysterious when you were asking us to uh define what this season is in three words and why that that word stuck in my mind is just there's just it's it's hard to verbalize if there's all of these individually positive points that we want to point out why did the thing end up in terms of a table perspective and a standings perspective and a results perspective and a points earned perspective not good yeah let's you guys want to let's let's switch gears and and talk about 
the the coaching change you just mentioned that's a is a big part of this season like it's one of the most i guess notable moments of the season was the decision to let go of Lucci uh, and move on from him in the middle of the season um, with, you know, the playoff run coming up and uh, Tyler, (laughs) just give me, I don't know where to start because it's like, there's just so many. Yeah. Mysterious is a good word, isn't it? I, I was thinking about this earlier today in preparation for this, you know, and I think, I think the most confusing thing is how disconnected the thinking within the team feels, right? I think if you hire a Luchi Gonzalez, a coach that comes in with no professional first team coaching experience, I feel like you're acknowledging, or at least you're making an admission that we're A, doubling down on the youth aspect of what we're doing at FC Dallas, and B, that you at least in some way, have a long-term vision for how you want this thing to continue to build forward. And that is why you hire a Luchi Gonzalez. And so the idea that he was fired with, what, eight eight games to go? Um, I don't have I the exact that's right. number. I think that's exactly um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's correct. To try to save a last-ditch playoff spot, which is the reasoning why that Dan and Clark gave. And I actually kind of believe that they, they genuinely believe that they thought that that team could make a, a playoff push to get into the playoffs at the end of the season. The idea that you kind of bail on a long-term vision with that guy that has been part of your organization for so long for a push for, you know, a number seven playoff spot and a chance to go, you know, perhaps play Seattle or something like that in Seattle to me just feels like a push of a panic button that we all sat around and tried to hypothesize different reasons why they made that decision when they did. Obviously, Lucci's contract was up. They had to make a decision whether or not they were going to, you know, and maybe they felt like he wasn't the guy and that kind of thing. So why wait till the end of the season? I, I get that those are some of the reasons, but it just felt like such a panic button push and a bail on something that it felt like was a long-term thing when you first started it. An admission that we are going full, you know, pushing all of our chips in, on the youth development thing with Lucci, with a guy that has done this for us in the past, to then bail on that the way they did, I thought was really confusing. And especially yeah. especially when you consider the different roster things that we've brought up already a little bit. But the Tiago Santos sale before the season, I thought was just a really, really puzzling and kind of a really bad move. And uh, you sold them. two... Yeah, it hurt them It hurt them big time. And he sold two right backs last year. And I, I'm so glad that, that Emma Tomasi emerged at the end of the season and really showed that he could potentially be a lockdown guy at that spot. But to then come into the season and just kind of have thrown your hands up and say, well, Eddie Munjama's the next guy up. It worked out for the last two. Um, I think punted on some of your biggest roster concerns heading into the, the season, and, and, and they were never solved. And so I didn't... I didn't feel like Lucci was given a chance in that regard. And then to get bailed on at the end of the season, the way I felt like the, the FC Dallas management did, I didn't necessarily think was fair. And that did, it just never really sat well with me. You know, when you think back to the start of the season, I mean, think about how the team played whenever they sold Santos. They spent the entire, what I feel like, until, you know, Facundo Kinion arrived on the scene. Uh, they spent several weeks basically playing different ways to compensate for the fact that they didn't feel comfortable about any number six that they would put out on the field. So we'd rather play with three in the back and play Brisson 
and Martinez and Hedges at the time. And then we're going to play, you know, wing backs, but then we're going to be overmatched in midfield. I mean, if you guys remember the San Jose game in the second week of the season, I mean, that was, uh, you know, abundantly clear that that was a problem. They were playing 2v3 in midfield and were losing, you know, battles to win balls in midfield uh, throughout that game. And that was just one of one of many reasons why they lost that game. But it just seems like if you look back at the beginning of the year, uh, Lucci was forced into a position to constantly have to compensate from a formation standpoint, from playing ways that clearly have not been the ways that FC Dallas has played for several years now that lead to success. And that is frequently either playing the two eights and a single pivot that he likes to play or the four, two, three, one formation that they've also played with a great deal of success. Uh, you know, so that thing, you know, that, that move uh, basically, got the season off on such a weird start because you spent until Kenny Young came in trying to compensate for the fact that you couldn't play a formation that said you have to have the most success. I mean, that was, I mean, again, therefore why I use the word mysterious, uh, you know, because of that puzzling move that happened two weeks before the start of the season that, you know, was abundantly clear that you were trying to compensate for formationally defensively set up wise for the for you know, the entire first half of the season until you got to that first international break in June. And Mark, you mentioned the double eights, which I remember them doing. I want to say it was late June because it was they were having sort of trouble generating scoring chances. And then they switched to that. And I think it was their best performance as far as shot attempts and shots on target. And then and it was at that point, because remember, as we bag on Brian Acosta earlier, he had a really good start to the season. In he fact, did, I thought yeah. it was the best we've seen of him in maybe two or three years or maybe ever in, the, in a consistent run right up until the beginning of July when he was getting called into the national team with Honduras. And after that, I don't think he ever recovered to the quality that we saw at the beginning of the season. It was but never the same eight, after the Gold Cup, for sure. 100% right. right. And, yep. and that double eight, which was very fleeting, was really promising, but then it went away almost as quickly as it came in. Yeah, and you know, by the end they weren't even using uh Faku Kenyon. They were using uh two two homegrown players. Mm-hmm. So Surreal. Yeah, yeah Surreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Surreal uh, was primarily in Sylvania. Yeah, Surreal and Sylvania were playing center mids underneath Pereira. Um yeah, that's uh like so, uh, you were somebody said something about Kenny Young. I do think some of that was I don't know how much of it was, but some of it was injury related, right? I mean, he did miss some time in there. Yep. Uh, at least if you looked at the last five games of the year, I would assume that three or four of those were he was unavailable due to injury, uh, much less than just we're looking at young players, right? Is that do I have is my memory on that I think, correct? I think he went he was out for a bit with a thigh yes. injury, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I believe he was available for the last two games or possibly the last three. But there was a a period in there when he was he was out for about three weeks. Yes, now, one of the two periods because remember he also was a he was a scratch before one of those games in August that they lost at home um, against. Remember that right after they had gone to Sporting Kansas City and won in Seattle and mm-hmm. Drew, then they played both of those teams at home and lost to both of them. Um, and before one of those two games is when Kenny Owen got hurt, and then you know he was also out out for a pretty good little stretch then as well. And I think Kenyon was was good and maybe was an answer to a question to a certain extent, but that's not to say that he he came in and lit things up or was incredible. I think about the Minnesota game, I believe, where Ja'Cory Hayes took the ball off of him and Minnesota goes the other direction and scores. That was his first um, game. 
Yeah. First game. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's a, a, a worthwhile caveat. But I feel like there were some some mediocre to bad giveaways at times from from Kenyon. And he was uh not necessarily um the the biggest uh the biggest problem solver for this FC Dallas team either. It's so not it's not terribly complimentary that the best thing that I feel like that we can say about him is that he was competent enough that it allowed them to play a formation that suited them. I mean, that's not exactly the world's biggest endorsement, is it? Yes. I think the bigger picture there is that if you look at that one position, and if you're gonna if you want to play four three three, which is generally what they play in the academy, that's that's a linchpin position, right? The bigger picture is that they progressively got worse in their selections at that position because I think Carlos Grezzo was probably, uh, I don't know if he was top five holding midfielder in MLS, but he might have been top 10. Um, then you got Tiago Santos. I think it was a little bit of regression there in terms of quality. Uh, he may have been top 15, and that's that's okay. Facundo Cunion, I don't know, you know, if, if he was definitely wasn't top 10, I'm not sure he was top 15, maybe he was top 20 or 25, something like that. But but that's, you know, now you're getting to a real deficit in quality, and that's just at, at that one position. So as we talk about the veterans not getting it done, there's also some uh, culpability. And, and, and look, uh, you know, the team brain trust, Andres uh, Anota, uh, he said, he said, we've got to do a better job of that. And I think that's a really uh, good example of it. You know, Tyler, you brought something up that I, I think is fair. I don't want to come off sounding too naive because you mentioned some of the things that got pegged on Lucci that you didn't think were totally fair. And I, I agree with what you said. The The biggest one that stuck it to me in a way that I didn't didn't sit well with me was what he did with this club through COVID last year in 2020 with having so many training camps because they started their season and then there was a lockdown in March and then they came back and they went to Orlando and they never really got on the field because they had that huge outbreak within the team. And then they had to come back and after they overcame that, get ready to restart the season in August and play, you know, Nashville more times than they probably cared to. <laughs> and I really thought that making the playoffs and then winning a game and moving on to another round was, I mean, we all talked about, they took a step back. Yes, they surely did. They missed the playoffs this year, but they made the playoffs in Lucci's first year, lost a wonderful game. I mean, what a, what an exciting game against Seattle in 2019. Then they win a game, lose again, but you see that progression. And I'm not naive enough to, to say that what you've done in the past obviously gives you enough credit to get overcome all issues with the club, but after getting that team through what they had to deal with, with 2020's COVID outbreak and everything, you wonder if it's good enough, at least till the end of the contract. But that being said, and I, I think this is important. I think all of us like Lucci. We, I mean, he's a very likable guy. Yeah. He is wonderful to talk to. He's very interesting. And he always gave us tons of time, especially on the broadcast. He, he never rushed away from us. Even when he said, Hey guys, I've got video in 10 minutes. He'd talk for 12 and it was always really nice to to get chat with him pitch side when we were allowed to. Uh, we even did the FaceTime thing a couple of times, which was less than ideal, but we were trying to work around MLS protocols and try to follow the rules. The big thing for me is, is that it's important to say that while we do have all those affinities for him, he's not completely blameless in how the team played throughout this season when he was the head coach, even though Everything you said, Mark, Steve, John, I mean, as well as Tyler, you guys all mentioned some of the deficiencies that he had to overcome. I think everybody's culpable on this, but he doesn't completely 
avoid any uh, criticism in that regard. I, I, would, I would agree. And I also kind of understand the the thought about, hey, why are we going to let Lucci go with eight games to go in the season? I kind of get it. If you're wanting to really test out Marco and give you know Fruzzi an opportunity to win some games, determine if this is the next coach for the club. Um, I mean, we all kind of know how that went. And so, you know, I'd be very surprised if, if that's the guy for next year. But now the club set themselves up in a position where, I mean, it's it's November. They don't have a coach signed yet. We know the season starts in February next year. So they've got a very short time period to turn around, find a coach, and then uh, actually figure out, you know, which new players will fit this playing style. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they can avoid taking another step back next year. And I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around like key things to focus on, you know, other than obviously finding a coach. Well, I think they're going to have to take a look at what they are at the linchpin position. I mean, that's that. And, and, you know, how are they going to rebuild a defense that statistically wasn't very good? You know, uh, I believe, did they give up what 56 goals this year? Is that right? Sounds right. Yeah. Um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> too many, too many. And so they've got, yeah, they've got a lot of questions to answer there. I mean, I think that's pretty clearly um, in terms of, of roster construction, uh, who's going to protect the back line and what's the back line going to look like. You know, those, those, those to me are, I'll hand it off to anybody else who wants to address it further. But I mean, I think that's a pretty easy jumping off point in terms of what you're looking at this off season. So, one of the things that I've, I've read, uh, I think it was Soccernomics was the book that I read, and I've talked about it on our show a couple of times, uh, where they talk about like one of the biggest mistakes clubs have or clubs make whenever they change coaches is bringing in a coach that's a different playing style than the club is used to, and then they bring in all the players that that club wants, and then they fire the coach when he doesn't do well, and then they have to bring in a whole other set of um, players. And it seemed for a while that FC Dallas was kind of um, – staying on the same, like, I guess, same style of play, that Oscar Pereja style. Um, and then they switched, in, in, and Lucci kind of brought a different element, and they needed some different player sets. Do you think that the Hunts would want to, like, maybe go back to that successful model that they had under Pereja and uh, with the fast wingers and the counterattacking offense? Um, or do you think that maybe they'll uh, kind of change it again? So what I would say is it doesn't really matter uh, as, as long as there's a comprehensive approach, right? Um, so uh, Jonathan said it best when he said, here we are in November. So what's going to happen here? You know, player contracts and options, uh, are, these decisions have to be made. Uh, and I hope they're being made in a more comprehensive way in terms of, uh, well, what kind of coach do we have and what kind of style does he want to play? And then you, as opposed to reversing that construct and saying, uh, well, coach, here are your players and you have to fit the system. That, that doesn't make as much sense to me as saying uh, the coach wants to be a counterattacking team or he wants to be a team that, you know, it, it's a Bruce Arena, 4-4-2, trap them on the sides and, you know, just keep things simple. So get players to fit the system. But what system do you want to play? Well, that depends on the, the coach you're going to bring in and, and the clock's a ticket. Is anyone surprised that there hasn't been at least some something said about Marco yet? 
like a hey, thank you for for being the interim manager. Anything along those lines from the club? I, mean, I, I don't want this to sound uh, you know snarky or cruel, but six points in twenty four, six out of possible twenty four points. I, I think that question answers itself. And I and I think Marco would probably, you know, he realistically, I think he probably knows that. And so you're you're just basically saying there's probably not any reason to say anything at that point. You know that 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 uh, that all you have to do is just you'll you'll have said what needs to be said whenever you hire a new a new full time manager. Yeah, maybe sometimes the less said the better. Yeah. I think, Excellent point. Yes, but yeah. especially if you're planning on keeping him in the front office. Um, yeah. You don't want to. I like, think that's. Yeah, sorry, Dustin. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. Yeah, I expect that Marco will be announced as the assistant coach to whoever it is that's coming, or whatever the the title happens to be. Right. So, uh, I think he stays around the club. It's just that the the test drive, yeah, as Steve, uh, you know, kind of demonstrated or talked talked about, was it just didn't go that well. So, hey, can I just say real quick? I, I hope that Marco is not announced as the assistant coach. I think that's a that, that's a that's an improper way to do it. Uh, I think the head coach, you bring him in, and he has the right to assemble the staff. Uh, Marco will definitely have a role on the team. He should have a role on the team because he sort of, you know, he sort of threw himself on the grenade on, on this thing, I think. But uh, you know, if the if the new incoming coach wants to wants to have Marco right back in that uh, assistant TD role, I think that's that's fair. But he, one way or the other, he should have the right to uh, name his own assistants. It should be a Jerry Jones kind of thing where you bring a head coach in and tell him who his assistants are, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely agree. <laughs> and they gave Lucci that that uh, that option, mm-hmm. by the way. You know, Lucci, Lucci sure. named, his, named his own staff in terms of Mikey Forrest and Lucene uh, as, as top assistant coaches, top lieutenants, if you will. And, and, you know, obviously Marco was more in a front office capacity, more in that assistant uh, technical director capacity, as Steve said. So any more thoughts on that whole coaching situation? I I know we've we've all on our various uh, um, channels and mediums and we've kind of beat a dead horse with this, but is there anything that that somebody's like just thought, man, I just wish I would have said this. I think it's, I think it's very interesting that just about everybody and anybody that, that played a role in making FC Dallas what it was when it was at their most successful over the last few years is now gone. And so this is 100% and totally after this hire is made, Andres and Ota's team, right? And so I think that there's uh, a lot to be said for who his choice ends up being and him really kind of nailing his colors to the wall on that, right? Um, so I, I think that's interesting. I think that I think that too often we at FC Dallas might just think that it's a given that the Academy will always be awesome and always just be producing the next Ricardo Pepe, Paxson Pomical, Jesus Ferreira, Reggie Cannon, Justin Che, you know, go on down the list. But I don't think it's a given. And I think that you took Lucci out of that role and it's yet to be seen whether or not the Academy maintains the pace that it did. And and I think that a lot, a lot of times I at least think that it's a given. Oh yeah, of course the Academy will continue to be good. It's about putting the other players around it. That's not, necessarily true right and so i i think that'll be something i'm very interested to watch moving forward i really like lucy's interview in the athletic by the way mm. yeah i i, I appreciate a lot of what he had to say you know and and um you know he was he was very gracious uh you know because because clearly you know he did say he felt like he deserved more time 
Uh, and I think we've all sort of pointed to the fact that uh, he did lead the club to its first playoff series win or playoff win. They're, they're not series anymore, but playoff win in 2020, their first one since they'd had uh, the, the victory over Seattle in 2015. You know, so I thought he was very gracious and I really appreciated how, you know, he's taken the whole thing as uh, I'm looking at other coaches who have stumbled coming out of the gate and their career as a head coach across all sports and seeing what I can learn from them to apply to a new situation. And I've had a chance to, you know, I'm, I'm using this all as a time to reset and make myself better for my next opportunity that I know will come. So I, I really enjoyed uh, how he conducted himself and what he had to say. And, you know, clearly, um, you know, the self-examination that he's doing, uh, even though I think Lucci's a very good coach, um, you know, but he's, you know, there's there's another thing out there for him, whatever it's going to be. And he's super focused on making the best of that opportunity. So I enjoyed I really enjoyed his athletic interview to answer your question, Dustin, if there was anything else that I wanted to say. I thought, uh, you know, it would have been easy to say negative things. And he didn't do that. He handled himself uh, very graciously in that, I thought. Hey, Dustin, I'll, I'll say one more thing, too. I, I think if you look at a few situations around Major League Soccer, you can see that there were managers who clearly lost their teams. Um, you know, if you look at Atlanta and, and how they rebounded this year, if you look at uh, New England a year ago, I mean, the situation with Brad Friedel was, you know, more stories are coming out now. It, it sounded like a, a completely ridiculous situation. Bruce Arena having rebuilt into a, a historically good team, basically with the same players. Uh, Vancouver this year uh, with what uh, uh, Sartini has done. So, if you look at FC Dallas, then this is not a comment against Marco. This is a comment about Lucci. I, any thoughts that maybe he'd lost the locker room or whatever, I think kind of go away when you look at uh, points accrued with Lucci versus points accrued with Marco. And again, that's not a, that's not a comment on Marco. That's a comment on I, – I don't think you can look at results before and after and say he had lost the team, lost the locker room in any way or they had tuned him out. I don't I, – I just I, – I can't uh, – I. To squint my eyes, I can't even then. I can't see that. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to say one thing on what Jonathan mentioned about their first game. We just saw that release this morning. They're going to host the Toronto FC Club for the first game of the 2022 season in late February. I think it's the 26th, if I remember that correctly. And it is Jonathan. Jonathan, you're right. The clock is ticking, and all your other off-season business is predicated after having your coach, because if you do it in the other way, as Steve was mentioning, it's backwards and it doesn't work that way. You need to make sure you have that synergy between the technical director and your coach. And I think they will have that. I think that's the main focus of this hire, not so much stylistically. And Dustin, you mentioned something about that. Do they need a particular coach that fits a certain style? I think the answer is no. Steve just mentioned what Bruce Arena did in New England and that turnaround. Look what Gary Smith has done in Nashville, a very you know, specific structure that he likes. He brought players in that fit that system, and they've had a very successful season, even though they're only one year removed from being an expansion club. And I, I'm sure that the, our friends down in Austin would love to see that kind of a positive progression next year that Nashville's done in year two. But I think it's more important to have a, a coach comes in that has a, a very strong conviction about what he wants to do and has the full support of everybody around him in the club to be able to go toward that goal. I mean, look at what Robin Frazier's done up in Colorado with a uh, you know a fraction of the budget of many of the other top MLS spenders. And I think that's a wonderful 
example of what you can do when you have everybody pulling in the same direction. It's a great point, man. And by the way, that's that. No, that. And you know what? I believe if I don't, if I recall correctly, wasn't Robin Frazier mentioned in the athletic article as well about Lucci and someone who, uh, and look, there were a lot of reasons things didn't go well for him in his first opportunity to be a head coach in major league soccer because of what was going on at Chivas USA. But he was, he was, uh, held up as an example. I think that Lucci himself said that, that, you know, he was trying to kind of trying to take this time to look at what he did and model himself after and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent point, Owen. All right. We, we've got a couple more minutes. Um, if you've got a question for, for the panel here, you can type it into the thread on Twitter or on YouTube and we can get that up on the screen. Um, but I think, Let's we get in these last waning winning minutes. Let's let's talk a little bit about next season. And, uh, and yes, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's I'm talk about you. you're. Oh, it's all good. Um, let's talk about next season and uh, maybe the, some of the the personnel changes that you, if you are Andre Zanota and you've got to make some personnel decisions. What changes would you make as far as some of the, I guess, non-homegrown players? And we'll, we'll start with Tyler. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, look the most unsure. Oh, yeah. That makes for good. That makes for good content. You just put your butt up there on the plank, man. Yeah. You must yeah, not listen right? to the podcast. We don't have good content. <laughs> that is not true. Unequivocally false. Um. No, so I, I think uh, in terms of roster moves, uh, one of the first things I'm doing is, uh, and I'm 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 fuzzy on contract situations, and I know that it's it's not always readily available information, especially given option years and that sort of thing. But I'm looking at what I could do to get from out out from under any kind of money that I owe Brian Acosta at this point, unless the new coach that comes in, whoever that person may be, just absolutely loves him, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm probably looking at that as something I'm contemplating doing uh, obviously you got to figure out the ricardo pepe situation um that's probably option you know that's probably item two after hire a head coach is figure out what you're doing with ricardo pepe if ricardo pepe does stick around for the 2022 season then i would also probably see what i could do to get out from under any kind of franco hara money i don't know that that's possible given the amount that you're paying that guy but those are probably the first couple of th- items of business to get sorted out outside of a head coach, which I think is 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 the most obvious thing. Um, and that doesn't even begin to address the backline issues that this team had. And I, I think part of it is is going to be unknown to us, but it's how healthy is Matt Hedges going to be able to be entering the next season. Um, I, other people on this are going to know better than me whether or not he was ever actually anywhere nearing fully healthy uh, this season, but I think that he didn't appear to me to be near 100%. And so um, I think you need to know what maybe what level you can expect from Matt Hedges moving forward. Maybe he's not a defensive player of the year type candidate moving forward in, you know, game in, game out. And so you got to think about that a little bit more and and consider how deep you're going to be along the back line. I know you have to make decisions on guys like Andres Ricarte, Felipe Mejilaro, um, you know, probably Brasan as well. And so a lot of decisions to be made, but that's probably where I start. Um, anybody else? What, how, how do you approach this offseason? And what do you think about when it comes to the roster construction? An awesome number six, man. It's the first thing I'm thinking about. Yep. Or an, or an upgrade, yep. you know. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. 
Uh, I'm thinking about another center back. Um, you know, if if you're telling me that you can go into next year with, um, you know, hopefully Matt getting healthier, Tafari, and then someone else who's in the prime of his career, who's better than Jose Martinez or Brisson, um, you know, I think you need to upgrade at center back. Um, you know, and and uh, I think that on the wing, there are still questions that you have to ask yourself because I look at Hot Air O'Brien's nine goals and feel like a lot of it reminds me of Roland Lamont once scored 11 for this club in a season. And I said at the time, and there is some truth to this, look, you've got to do the work. Uh, and O'Brien uh, is a hard worker uh, when it comes to the attack side of things. Uh, obviously, we would have a different discussion if we're talking about defending. Um, you know, so you do have to put yourself in position to score those goals, kind of like Roland Lamont did. But, you know, we all saw how things played out this year and there were, you know, a lot of scratch your head moments with him. So I'm still looking at, uh, you know, how I'm going to get better in the attack in that regard on the on the wing as well. So those, you know, uh, there are other things, too, but, you know, I don't want to monopolize the time here, but defensive midfield, the center back and, uh, you know, how can I upgrade the attack specifically looking at wing players? I also want to say just real, real quick that Daniel Robertson pointed out, I think midway through the season that FC Dallas had no other players on their roster who had ever played a game for another team in Major League Soccer, which is still just so wild to me. And I think that the best teams in MLS build their roster from every different possible angle that they can, including other players that have played in, in MLS before. Like a Kellen Rowe, we talked. I think I talked Mark and Steve Zier off about this at some point, but Kellen Rowe goes from you know bounces around the league. <laughs> yeah, I did. But ends up at Seattle, right? And he's from Seattle, and that makes a lot of sense. But there are there is value to be had within Major League Soccer. There's still value to be had within the the draft. I think we've seen there's value to be had in homegrowns and DPS and all the different angles. But for FC Dallas to not pursue that angle, especially for a proven MLS veteran, I think uh, is a little negligent. And I hope I mean, to address that. Somebody brought up Robin Frazier earlier in Colorado. They're collecting like misfits from from the league and making a, a cohesive unit out of it, and, and doing it well. Yeah, you and, know, you know, from, Ty, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Steve. No, please, Mark. All, all I was going to say was Tyler. Did, you know, uh, Tyler did talk her ear off about Kellen Rowe, but there was a reason that he did. You know, I mean, his <laughs> point his point is exactly right. I mean, it's not like he wasn't. <laughs> it's not like there was no basis for him talking her ear off about that particular point. Thank you. That's all I was going to say. Uh, so for me, I, I would say almost exactly what Mark said. I would love them to go out and get, but I, I'll even I'll dial down a little bit on that six and that defensive midfielder. I want them to get a real hard ass on the field and in the locker room. Uh, somebody that that, that the, the cop on the beat back there. And you know, Facundo Quinon, I, I just think he was a different profile. Uh, even Carlos Grizzle was as good as he was. He was a hard ass on the field, but they need a leader. If you're if you're going to surround him with uh, a young guy in the back, uh, maybe they have, you know, maybe whether it's Tafari or maybe even Justin Che, um, a emerging fullback on the side, and Emma Tumasi, uh, two young guys in front of them, whether it's Cervania or Surreal or uh, Paxton Pompico or Jesus Little, you need a leader right there in the middle to, to tell those guys. You need a Diego Chara type. So go spend your money right there uh, and maybe put Paxton back in the middle. Um, on the wings, they absolutely have to get competition for Obreon and Hader, for, for Obreon and Sean, uh, a different profile player. And by the way, as far as Obreon and to Mark's point, let me ask you guys this. Does anybody in this panel think that Hader Obreon, with his nine goals, 
Okay, that's not bad. With his nine goals, does anybody in this panel think he could play for Bruce Arena? Not a chance. Negative. No. Not a chance. Because he doesn't defend, and when he does try to defend, he creates penalty kicks. He, chases, he tackles <laughs> from the wrong side. He, he he makes the job so much harder for everybody else. Because because God bless him, he tries, but he just can't defend. So so that guy for me, you know, it's it, there's it, there's a lot of addition by subtraction if you just take him off the field and put to uh, Towers Point. Uh, go go find an Ethan Fendley out there. Uh, who's who's bounced around a little bit? There are there are guys in the major league soccer that have bounced around a little bit. And by the way, um, you know if you look at all teams, all successful teams, most of them have, like you said, uh, Ozzy Alonso in Minnesota. He he came. He switched teams. Uh, look at old Bruce Arena teams. Uh, Todd Donovan came. You know a guy like that that you don't think of as a as a linchpin guy, but coming from another team to fill a need. Uh, I think that's a I think that's well put from Tyler. Drew Moore on Toronto, Michael Parkhurst for Atlanta. Yep. All of these successful teams have one of those guys. Yeah, you just have to have it. Sure. For so years I'm looking here is Kyle Beckerman in Real Salt Lake. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. just got uh, honored this year out in Salt Lake City. That thing they did with the field was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was. That was awesome. My my Facebook lawn group loved that. <laughs> <laughs> so and don't, and don't forget for all those years, Kyle Beckerman uh, institution at Real Salt Lake, he played at two other teams first. He was at Miami originally. He went to, a lot of people forget he was in Colorado, came over in a trade. So to your point, Tyler. Also, Dustin's in a lawn Facebook group. I don't. I'm peak dad. That's right. (laughs) We need to revisit that at some point. Yeah. 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 At some point, yes, we do. Here's a plug. You can look back. We interviewed uh, Alan Reed from the Toyota Stadium uh, lawn uh, pitch crew and uh, went really in depth. Did you know that grass has pheromones and hormones? You do now. I did not know that, That's but I'm right. not surprised to hear it. Yes. So I mean, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a living breathing thing. Grass is. It's true. Yeah. So that's on our YouTube channel. If you if you get bored on the road there, Mark. That's right. We, we have a lot of depth here at uh, Dallas Soccer Show. <laughs> so really I'm have try something to... to do here at the hotel room in Los Angeles as soon as I get done with this. <laughs> I'm going to try to segue from horticultural pheromones to hot air Obreon. So we'll see yeah. how it does. But no, seriously, luck, um, I look, I will admit that my opinion of hot air has grown vastly from earlier in the season till the end. I still think, like Steve says, that he's a better player as a last 20-minute sub with a change of pace. He comes on with a tired back line against him, and he just runs, runs, and runs. I think that's the most effective. Problem is, is who are you going to play in his spot? I won't be upset if the starting attack line Look, we all know that Ricardo Pepe, it sounds like he's going to be sold. I Selfishly, I want him to stay for one more season so he gets regular minutes and so he's at his peak for the national team for the World Cup. That being said, if he goes somewhere in Europe and plays and actually plays, then that's better. And so that would be good for him and the national team. But if you told me that in February, it's going to be Sabolt Shun on the left, Jesus Ferreira in the nine, Hadero Brian on the right and Paxton playing the 10 with Cervania and somebody, whether it's Surreal or a, a six that Mark, you were talking about that I totally agree with. I'd be okay with that. I also think that you need to add depth there. You guys, uh, Steve, Mark, both of you guys said depth at wing. So who's going to push young Sabolt Shun 
for minutes? Who's going to push hot air or even replace him? Is Khalil Medkar there? We don't know because we really haven't seen him play any significance, and I'm not sure if he's quite ready yet. Maybe he'll grow into that, maybe not, but somebody else needs to go in there. The other one that we haven't talked a lot about is Johnny Nelson had back surgery, and that's a big deal. And I think that they just don't have the cover at left back for Ryan Hollingshead. I'm very pleased with almost all of Ryan Hollingshead's game. He's, as Steve has said numerous times during the broadcast, he's the best attacking left back in Major League Soccer. However, look, he's not getting younger. I think you need some cover there. I hope Johnny Nelson's okay and that he can come back and be that cover. But if not, I think that's something. And you're going to have to look at goalkeeper as well because as much as Jimmy Maurer looked really good for a large portion of the season, when he was hurt, there was a big drop-off because Felipe's not the guy. And we we saw some shot-stopping. Maybe he could have been. He's not going to be the guy. So the, the, the grocery list seems to be getting longer by the speaker during this podcast. <laughs> Can't argue with it. I mean, the grocery list probably should be long if you finish yep. 11th in your conference. No doubt. Absolutely right. All right, so who's left? Jonathan? I mean, to me, it's the same kind of thing that everybody else is talking about. It's, it's it's the spine of this team, right? It's starting at the six, moving up to the eight, right? Potentially the striker if uh, if Pepe's gone. Uh, I, I don't know if I like the, the idea of uh, Jesus playing full-time striker. I kind of like him in that secondary striker or tin roll or uh, whatever we want to call that. Um, but I think if, if the club could lock down – you know, another center back uh, to back up uh, Matt Hedges or Martinez. Uh, if they if they could get that rock solid number six, obviously that'd be a benefit. And then I think the the thing that this club needs that when we think about we think about that 2016 team that was able to make that run, you need that that magical player. Now is that Jesus Ferreira? Maybe if you push him to striker, I don't think so. If that's Paxton when he's healthy, maybe. But to me, the the other the other thing that this club needs is I think they need a, a creative eight or 10 um, that Cervania is fine. He, he'll grow into it. I think Paxton could be that, but I think that that's, that's the one big thing to me is we need somebody that can be the, the difference maker for this club. Um, because a lot of times when we saw um, you know them struggle against other teams, it was when somebody like a Diego Valeri comes in off the bench. Right. And, you know, FC Dallas doesn't have an answer to that. And so I think that's, that's the only other thing I would kind of point to is, you know, how else can you uh, get a little bit more creative in the, in the spine of this club? Indeed. All right. Uh, I think that's going to pretty much draw us to close any more closing, closing thoughts on the 2021 season that we just haven't touched on yet. No, 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 no. All right. Hey, I think well, that speaks volumes when you don't have yeah. any more closing thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think good, that, I think that means it's time to move forward. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that does draw a close to the 2021 season for us here at the Dallas Soccer Show. Uh, again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, I know you are all busy folks, and um, like it, we really, really appreciate your time here. Nice to talk to you guys, and nice to see everybody. It's a wonderful yes. thing. All right. Well, that that uh, I think that's going to do it for us for the year. Um, we may have an episode if there's a new coach announced, uh, but I think most of us are going to pretty much lay low. After, at least on the Dallas Soccer Show, we're going to lay low for the rest of the year. Take a take a little bit of a break after that uh, season and recharge the batteries and see how see how things go. Uh, so 
uh, if you want to to follow any of these folks on the panel, uh, we've we've listed all of their tags on our social. Uh, we're Dallas Soccer Show at DallasSoccerShow.com. Uh, we're also on the Striker TexasDons.com. Thank you to the Striker for letting us use their streaming platform. And um, yeah, for for all the folks here, for Jonathan Ross, I'm Dustin Nation. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody.